Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On this day, uh, probably in 343, some say 342, and a couple of other years are given, but they seem to agree that it was this day that a pastor named Nicholas died in what is now the country of Turkey. He served on a a seaport town in a, in, a, in a community known as Myra. And not much is known of this Nicholas, but over the years, even to this day, the folklore and traditions that have arisen concerning him keep on growing and keep on evolving. They keep on changing. While little is known of him, there are two accounts that are likely to be true concerning the man that we often call today St. Nicholas. First, he probably attended the Council of Nicaea, which took place in the year of our Lord 325, so approximately 18 years before he died. This council was called by Emperor Constantine, in which he invited all 1,800 bishops to attend this council in the city of Nicaea. There was an agenda that was set. The most important and pressing issue is, who is Jesus? Is he God from eternity? What is his substance? And those questions were addressed at the Council of Nicaea. Another thing that arose were various traditions on when to celebrate Easter, and that was standardized also at the Council of Nicaea. Even though Emperor Constantine had invited 1,800 bishops, the attendance was in the two or three hundreds, so far fewer than the entire invited list. And those lists that they have on the Council of Nicaea vary for who was in attendance. So it could be that some were there for longer periods of time or shorter periods of time for why some are on this list, but maybe not that list. St. Nicholas is listed on some of those registers, but not on all of them. And so at this council, which was a very important council. We now confess the Nicene Creed, which it was drafted at this council to settle these issues on who Jesus is. We have a man named St. Nicholas who was there. In opposition to the truth that was recovered and confessed through the Council of Nicaea was a man named Arius and his followers. Some historians have speculated that there may have been as many followers of Arius as there are that there were at the time of true Christianity. Arius wrongly taught that Jesus was created that Jesus is not of the same substance as the Father, that Jesus would have been born as an ordinary man, not divine, but that he was elevated to becoming divine, and that that divine attribute never put him on par with God the Father, 
And because the divine cannot die, that attribute, according to Arius, had left Jesus prior to his death. Now, if those things were true, then the redemption of Christ would have been impossible. Because God would not be taking away the sin of the world through his only begotten son. But it just would have been yet another person up on the cross surrounded by two other thieves. The teachings of Arius were popular, though, because he sought to uphold the oneness of God. Behold, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. Well, how is he one when Jesus is described as God and the Holy Spirit is God? And so Arius tried to come up with his explanation, which ultimately led to the denial of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity and the denial of the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made. Words, language that the church has been confessing since the time of St. Nicholas at the Council of Nicaea. Now, hundreds of years after that council took place, a tradition arose. In fact, all the writings we have about St. Nicholas, the earliest are a couple of hundred years after he, he lived. So it's questionable how much of it is actually factual. But there is a claim out there that during a very heated portion of the debate in the council, that St. Nicholas slapped Arius in the face for Arius denying the divinity of Jesus. But because that was recorded hundreds of years later, it is likely that St. Nicholas did not do that. But we do recognize St. Nicholas as a defender of the truth of the word of God and of the true divinity of Jesus because of his participation at the Council of Nicaea. A second account that likely happened in some form involved his work as a pastor. In those days, in order for women to marry, they had to supply a dowry for the, for the husband. This monetary gift allowed the young newlyweds to begin their life together. And if no such dowry was available, those women, sadly, often lived their lives as prostitutes. One man had three daughters and had no money to give as a dowry. St. Nicholas had heard of it. And as the story goes, he dropped gold coins through the window of that man's house at night. And then that man used those, that gold to pay for the dowry, and his three daughters all eventually were married. And that is how the tradition of gift-giving became associated with this man who died on this day many years ago, St. Nicholas. He became known as Sinterklaas in the Dutch or, drawing from the Dutch, Santa Claus in English. As Jean Edward Veith wrote over a decade ago in The Lutheran Witness, Santa Claus has become the patron saint 
of a secularized Christmas. Very perceptive and very true. In many Dutch and German regions, children would set their shoes out on December 5th, so basically last night, and then the next day in the morning, the, effectively this morning, they would then find in those shoes gifts from St. Nicholas, perhaps a piece of fruit or a piece of candy or something that might be useful but still small. And of course, I don't think we need to cover the various traditions that we see today about St. Santa Claus and reindeer in the North Pole and things like that. Jean Edward Veith also had written, the problem with the cult of the saints as practiced historically is that the saints become detached from Christ. Sailors would pray to St. Nicholas to save them from a storm rather than to the one who calmed the Sea of Galilee. Similarly, children asked Santa to bring them gifts instead of the giver of every good and perfect gift. Actual saints, however, point not to themselves, but to Christ. It wasn't their supernatural virtues that made them saints. Rather, it was their faith in Christ. St. Nicholas was a saint for the same reason that you and I can be considered to be a saint. In Roman Catholic theology, people become saints when miracles are attributed to them after death and they lived an extraordinary life before they were called to glory. But according to the scriptures, saints are those who are holy, who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Saints are people that Paul wrote to who were living. Saints involve you and me. St. John declared God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our actions, even our best works, do not make us holy, for the stain of sin remains. Instead, someone else must do that on our behalf, and our Lord Jesus Christ did just that when he took our sin upon himself and went to the cross and paid for them all by offering his body as a ransom payment, and he sheds his innocent blood in our place. By offering up himself, he renders, he, he renders the satisfaction for our sin, and by bearing our sin in his body, he suffers the wrath of God in our place. And as a result, he is the propitiation for our sin with the wrath of God, in, with him enduring the wrath of God. And so in God's mercy, our sin is replaced with the very righteousness of our Savior. Therefore, we are renewed in Christ through our baptism that we can be counted as holy ones, as saints, made white and purified by the blood of the Lamb. It is said of St. Nicholas that he had much compassion on children and that he gave gifts. Our reading from 1 John reminds us to love one another. We love because God first loved us. To love our neighbor means we want them to have what we have. And so when we love, we are generous toward our neighbors. We forgive our neighbors. 
We want to ensure that our neighbors know and trust in the saving gospel of Christ. Our Lord does not understand this definition of love. Instead, in our day, love is synonymous with tolerance, acceptance, and the promotion of sinful vices such as sexual deviancy, greed, and false belief. But that, my friends, is not love at all. But it is a rejection of God's created order. It's a denial of the word of God, which St. Nicholas fought so hard to preserve. And it, in addition to that, it is a path toward temporal and eternal destruction. Jesus shows his compassion on children by blessing them. He lovingly rebuked the disciples as they were trying to rebuke him, as he said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Lord, we must keep these words in mind. Instead of laying before our children the mystery of the incarnation and the birth of Jesus, we can see that our world prefers to fix our children's hearts and minds on an omniscient Santa. Many families, even among devout Christians, spend more time promoting Santa and the mysteries surrounding him over their Savior. Just think how much better things would be if our focus were truly on Jesus throughout all of Advent and Christmas, instead of on all our attempts to please children by, by loading them up with more sugar and more stuff. That stuff will break or be forgotten. But Jesus will never leave us with his presence. He will always be here, and he will be ready always to bless and to present to us his gifts of the absolution and the forgiveness of sins, and he is always ready to receive his children into his eternal kingdom. In Christ, we receive the greatest gifts. While the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so through the word and the sacraments, we are presented with Christ our Savior. His gift to us is the forgiveness of sins, which means we have the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Therefore, behold Jesus as your King, your Lord, and your Savior. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We now receive an offering. This offering goes to support fourth-year seminarian Joseph Goodroad, who uh, is at the Fort Wayne Seminary and from Kearney, Missouri. Mm hmm. 